You're listening to The Mom Inspired Show, episode 96 with Natalie Morris. Welcome to The Mom Inspired Show. I'm your host, Amber Sandberg, and this show is created to inspire, encourage, and add a little extra fun to your day. Hey, you guys, I am so excited to have Natalie on the show today. She is a former news anchor who decided to stay home after having kids. However, she wanted to figure out how she could grow her wealth being a stay-at-home mom. So I know there's plenty of you that may be working a nine-to-five type job, and you're afraid to stay at home because you're going to lose that income. So this show is perfect for you. But I don't want to forget about the stay-at-home moms that are currently home, because I know that you guys are probably thinking, how can I make more money with what I have? Or how can I do a side hustle? This is going to be a very interesting show. It is very outside of the box, so I will tell you that. But it's really going to kind of rock your world on how Natalie went about creating the life that she has today. So if you are tired of just being resigned to the administrator task in regards to money, meaning like you're in charge of budgeting it, but you really want to build wealth with what you have, then this show is for you. All right, you guys, I'm so excited to have Natalie on the show and I hope you love this episode. Let's get to the show. Natalie, thank you so much for coming on the show today. No problem. Thank you for having me. So I like to start off the show with an icebreaker. I'm a family travel specialist, and I'm always curious to see where people's favorite vacation destinations are, because everyone has different places. So I find it very interesting. So what is your favorite vacation spot that you have gone to and why? And this can be with or without kids. Oh, geez. You know, I was just this week looking at my honeymoon album. Um, It feels like it was somebody else's honeymoon. I don't know if other people feel like that. I've only been married seven years, but I guess, you know, after yeah. three kids. I know. It's weird. I, I, it's uh-huh. like, who was that? Did I really do that? Um, so it's, we went to Switzerland. We went to Zurich and then to Paris and then to Bordeaux. And then from that, we went to, uh, where, where do we go? Barcelona. And so I was just thinking about, you know, being in Bordeaux and eating these huge meals. And there's this place um, you can drive to from Bordeaux called Arcachon, which is over on the coast. And you eat these oysters that are fresh from the ocean. And uh, you drink, you know, this fresh wine that's just from it. That, so that's what I'm dreaming of. Recently. Oh my gosh. That sounds How amazing. How do I get back there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's like it was a different girl, you know. My yes. husband and I, we've taken a few trips by ourselves to Europe for just yeah. quick you know, because we live on the East Coast, it's easier yeah, right. to get. I'm I'm a Californian, sure. um, so for Californians, yeah. it's harder. But yes. for for us, you know, living in New York area, it's easier to go. So, um, yeah, that's sort of on my horizon. I've been dreaming about. I'm like, how do I make that happen again? Yeah, I was just talking to somebody about Switzerland, and I think going into Rome and then taking a train to Switzerland. And she was saying it's so beautiful. And mm-hmm. I, was, I had my gears going. And I have a client who's trying to figure out if she wants to go to San Sebastian, Spain, which I did not know about it until I looked it up. And it is amazing. It's, it's on this coast. It's the opposite side of Barcelona. And it's gorgeous, but it's not that easy to get to. And she's coming from California. So kind of like what you said, it's not as easy to get to Europe uh, from California as it is from the East coast. So that makes a big difference time-wise. Yeah. My husband about three years ago surprised me with a trip to Portugal 
And Lisbon is actually the closest European city to the Eastern seaboard. And so it's, I think it's even, it's because to get to my family in San Francisco from New York mm-hmm. is about a six hour flight. Yeah. And so it's the same in the opposite I know. direction. It's crazy. Yes. To get to Lisbon. And yep. that is a really amazing place. And actually from Lisbon, you can get to, I think, San Sebastian a little bit easier. Um, I think most people just don't even think of Lisbon as, a, you know, it's, it's like, it's like Europe light because everything in Lisbon is so much cheaper. Like you can go to a little cafe and get coffees and pastry for breakfast and it's like four euro. Whereas yeah. in Paris, it would be like 11 or 12, you know, oh, yeah. it's almost, it's a really amazing European experience, but for cheaper, um, they have their own, you know, all the wines they have there are, you know, really beautiful wines, but they don't use the same nomenclature as in France. They, you know, like, uh, Beaujolais or whatever, you know, the grapes, they, they call them their own thing. And so it's like a whole other cultural experience. It's really great. That's awesome. Yeah. Lisbon is on my list. And so I really do want to go there and um, I haven't taken my kids yet to Europe. And so I feel like that might be a good, you know, starting point. And I know you're going to Italy with your kids. Is this your kid's first European trip? No, actually. Okay. It's not. No, the baby. Yes. Baby. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. She's one and a half. Okay. Um, but the other two have been twice, actually. I'm pretty fearless about travel, I think, because I'm a Californian, but I'm raising my kids in the New York area. Yeah. I'm used to traveling with them. So it does nothing scares me. Yeah, that's so, awesome. <laughs> um, I, you know, when my daughter, my middle daughter was two months old and the boy was two, we decided we wanted to take my father-in-law to Germany because he was stationed there after the war and had not been back since. So as a gift, we all went to Germany. She was four months old. Wow, that's um, amazing. And I was just like, yeah, well, I don't even have to bring her food because she nurses. Yeah, yeah she's so all set. It was yeah. so easy. Yes. And she slept in the ergo most of the time while we roamed around castles. So I just, I'm not, I'm pretty fearless about that. And then when I was pregnant with my third, we went to Scotland when I was eight months pregnant because wow. I'm, I'm a miserable pregnant person. I hate everybody. <laughs> and so I knew that if I didn't have this like big trip coming sure. up, I would stay home and cry for the oh, whole yeah. Okay. trimester. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it was mostly I love it. a diversion. And yeah. I was like, if I give birth in Scotland, they have, you know, free healthcare. There you go. I should be fine. So, I love yeah. it. I love it. And we could totally talk about travel clearly for the whole show. And people will be like, wait, we were trying to figure out other things. <laughs> but no, right. I, I do love that you're so fearless. That's that's really awesome. And and that you really have taken your kids, you know, so many places. Um, well, you know, so, traveling yeah, go with ahead. kids, yeah. I always say kids are like dogs. They can smell fear. So you can see <laughs> the parents in the airport who are freaked out and their kids are freaking out too because they mirror and match your energy, right? Oh, sure. And so I'm I'm pretty organized about it. I love and it. I just know that the next 7 hours are not going to be my favorite, but we're going to get through it and I'm not scared of any of it. And so actually the travel thing you mentioned us going to Italy. Yeah. Uh, we're spending the month in Italy yes. in the middle of the summer because this is my husband's first summer not having a day job. And so That's neither amazing. of us work for someone else so we can actually go when the kids are out of school. So this is like a big, it's been in our sights for a long time that when we actually hit our freedom number, which I'll tell you about later, that we would do this. And so the fact that we're actually doing this, um, it's not just like, oh, another trip to Italy for these people. Like it's a big deal that we're going there. I'm, I'm really starting to feel amped about it now that it's approaching. 
That's awesome. And I'm super excited for you. And that's why I wanted you to come on the show because I I, I want other people to think, um, how can I do this? I don't want them to be like, well, congrats to Natalie that she can do this. And, you know, I really want everyone to hear your story and, you know, how you got to where you are today. So let's jump into um, you telling us a little bit more about yourself. So your name, how many kids you have, where you're from, well, you told us you're from New York and um, how you got to where you are today. Yeah. So when I was in my twenties and thirties, I was a news anchor for CBS and I actually still have a contract with NBC, but I'm a freelancer. So, um, I think that's where I sort of started most of the notoriety I have is as someone who was, you know, broadcast journalist and, and anchor and a writer. Um, but I left full-time journalism when my first child was born. He's going to be eight this summer. And I had freelanced for, I'd say the first four or five years of his life. Um, I had another child, my middle daughter, her name's Ava, and she just turned six last week. And so, you know, with these two kids, I was always sort of one foot in, one foot out. I really struggled when I had my two little kids about whether or not I wanted to go back to news full time. You know, my husband, he was a news anchor on Fox. He anchored Fox and Friends on the weekends. And so that was a perfect job to raise a family because he was home Monday through Friday. Um, You know, I worked maybe one or two days a week. And so we were very used to being home with our kids, raising them together. I don't have to do all the pickups and drop-offs myself. He's home to do that kind of stuff with me, a ballet class, you know, a golf lesson, whatever. But over the last three or four years, we really took a good hard look at our news careers and started to get serious about building wealth as a family. So originally we had started to invest in real estate and, you know, around that same time was when I was trying to get another news job. So one day I was home waiting for a call from my agent because I had met with CNN and I was trying to meet with Bloomberg and ABC. I was really, you know, I really felt like being a news anchor was who I was. It was an important part of my identity. But also not being involved in the news cycle meant I had no paycheck. And that was really hard on me. I felt really powerless. I didn't like that feeling of like, oh, we're paying our bills with my husband's paycheck. I, I wasn't sure how I was useful in our sort of you know, finances. So I was sitting there and I was like, okay, Clearly CNN didn't call my agent back. That means I don't have a paycheck coming. So what do I do? And I remember telling myself, if you're not going to have a regular paycheck, then what you are going to do is become so good at personal finance that that is your job, that it makes it almost worth having two paychecks. So I I made a choice at this fork in the road that I was going to be really good with money but not really good at budgeting. I feel like those are two different directions you can take. So my choice was really to expand our wealth and get in the driver's seat and not, you know, what I see, like I really get annoyed when I go to Pinterest and I see all these like how to budget your life smaller and smaller and smaller. You can only get <laughs> so small, right? right. And then you're yep. never going to take that trip to Italy if you're, you know, your whole fixation is like how to buy $10 worth of, you know, laundry detergent that lasts you a year or whatever, like that kind of stuff as your constant preoccupation. I really feel like that's, it it tells you something about your worth that then gets mirrored in your reality, you know? So I went to the library and I started studying personal finance. I mean, I knew how the stock market worked. I knew a little bit about real estate investing, but I wanted to get serious about those things and really employ all the skills I was using in my job as a journalist, like goal setting and team building and, you know, research and all of that 
and I wanted to apply it to our personal wealth building. And so that's what I did. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, just all of that is like, wow. So I bet you everyone else is just, you know, thinking, okay, this sounds really amazing, but how do we do this? So this is why I brought you on the show because I know so many moms feel overwhelmed about growing their wealth or feel completely clueless and they just don't even understand investments and all that kind of stuff and where to start. So that leads me into my first question. I know you've talked about how we have to change the mindset about our role in our family wealth as the mom in the family. So what would you recommend us getting, um, how to get more involved in wealth building and not just managing the money or budgeting per se? Right. Yeah. You know, I noticed a lot looking around the playground and talking to other women, like the job of the mom who stays home and raised the kids, a lot of times they get resigned to like the administrator. You know, it's like you pay the bills and maybe balance the checkbook and handle the passwords for the energy company and that kind of stuff, right? And that is not wealth building. That's just being a secretary inside of your own home. So what I wanted to do was figure out what money we did have to work with, what money we had coming in, and how to make that grow. So I did, the first thing I did was to create a balance sheet. Now I was raised by a small business owner. And so my dad was always very big on like numbers and spreadsheets and know where you've got, what you, where you're coming from, what you've got to work with. So I knew how businesses created a balance sheet and I just made a really rudimentary one for us. And it was the same one my dad had made me use like ever since I was 12, he would make me turn in my balance sheet. Now, when I was 12, it wasn't very impressive. I would list things like I owned a Nintendo NES, right? And a 10 speed. <laughs> but I now it. I had a child and a husband and a house and a mortgage and a car. And so I knew what to do with that. So that's what everyone should have, you know, at the ready all the time is their balance sheet because you can't build wealth with what you don't have. You can only build with what you do have and then figure out how to take what's on that balance sheet and leverage it into performing assets. So let's start with the balance sheet. All the balance sheet is, is a list of what you've got and a list of what you owe. That's it. So you probably, maybe you own a car, you maybe own a house, maybe you have a 401k, maybe you have an IRA, maybe you have a stock market account right? Maybe you have a savings account. You just list all of those things. That's what I've got. You log in, see what the balance is, right? Maybe you've got a house, you figure out what's the sort of what you think it's worth right now, list it. And then you total those things up. That's all of your assets. Then you go to your liabilities. What do you owe? You maybe have a credit card bill, you have a mortgage, you have a student loan, perhaps you have a car payment, and then you list those things, right? That's the sum of your liabilities. Now you can sort of subtract the assets from the liabilities and get your net worth. And that's sort of a throwaway number. It doesn't mean all that much. What, what you really want to focus on is how to do better with the things that you've got. So that's what I did. I had, we had some stock accounts that used to be IRAs, or I'm sorry, they used to be 401ks. They were rolled into IRAs. And I was like, okay, how can I start with the IRAs and see what, how I can do better with that? So I started to read up on stock market investing. Now, I don't really do that anymore, but that's just sort of, I, I don't do a lot of stock investing for a reason, and I can tell you about that later. But it's where I started, and it was what taught me how to speak the language of finances. Um, so, you know, I went from like one thing to the next. And then 
throughout this journey, which has taken me now seven or eight years, then I went to the liabilities. And I thought, okay, how much am I paying for these liabilities? And how much is that affecting our quality of life? Because a lot of people, what they do is they get a job and they say, okay, I make this much per month. Like, let's pretend there's a family that makes $5,000 a month, right? And they, then you look at your, their liabilities column and all of that $5,000 is going into the liabilities for the house, for the car. They sort of create their life around what they can afford based on the income, right? But those liabilities are attached to things that don't make money, right? So your house, your car, your student loan, that's sort of debatable, but it's not a performing asset, right? And so this quote from Robert Kiyosaki is really how I like, we started to turn things around in our family. We realized, he says, the rich buy assets and the poor buy liabilities. So we realized that all of our money was going into liabilities for things that did not perform for us. We could never eat our house or our appreciation on the house. Right. Or you can't eat the car, right? So we started to change where we were funneling our money. We sort of either reduced or got rid of liabilities and then started to buy things that perform to put in our balance sheet that we could then live off of. So that's how we hit the freedom number. We didn't we didn't just like all of a sudden I'm so great at the stock market, right? It's really really hard to live your daily life off of the stock market. What we did was we decided that we liked real estate as a performing asset and we started to take the money we did have and leverage it to buy performing assets. And so now we own enough in rental real estate that we can actually live our lives off of the income from rental real estate without having to work for the news. So here's a question. You have people thinking, okay, let's use the $5,000 a month. And so maybe once they get rid of some things, they have $1,000 now that they can put towards something. So how do you direct people if they have $1,000, right? They don't have the $50,000 to put down for a down payment or something. So I'm trying to give some actionable steps that people can be like, so if I if I open up $1,000 a month, what would your recommendation be? What would it look like? It really depends on what else they've got. I think most people don't realize that they probably have other money to work with that they had not considered. For instance, the 401k. Could you take a loan from your 401k and buy something that performs, buy an investment property that performs every month. Now, you can do that. People don't like to hear that because the marketing on the 401k is very fierce. Like for most people, when you say take a loan or touch the 401k Mm -hmm. at all, they cringe. They're like, no. But, you know, once I started to really study finance and especially study the funds that were in my 401k, you won't be very impressed with the 401k. The 401k is not really a performing asset. And it's an expensive asset as well. So that's what we did is we took a loan from our 401k. Um, The rules are that you can take $50,000 or up to 50% the value. And we took that $50,000 and instead of having it in the stock market, which crashes every 10 years, um, and some economists Mm -hmm. now say we're rolling into a cycle where it will crash every five years. Um, So we bought an investment property that now pays us $800 $800 a month. And so I don't have to worry. Now, now I do have to pay that back, that loan, right? But I set the interest on that loan. So if I have a property that now is performing at like 10%, but I set a loan back to myself at 5%, well, the 401k is still growing, 
Mm. but it's also performing somewhere else. Now, say you have a house and you have some equity in your house. You could take a home equity line of credit from that house and buy an investment. And then that money that's in your equity that you can't eat or use or live off of is now in an investment property that does perform. And now you can live off that eat that, buy shoes with that, whatever, right? So what you're doing is looking at what you've got and learning to leverage it better. Now, if you don't have anything, right? Maybe you're just getting started. You don't have a 401k that you can borrow from. You don't have equity in in a house, right? There are other ways to get started in rental real estate or or buying any kind of performing assets without cash. Um, And that's sort of how we teach. We teach people to do that. Um, you, You know, it's a long process, but you have to just start to think, like change your mindset about no one wants to live their lives only on their liabilities, right? Oh, so you have sure. to look at what mm-hmm. you've got. You know, my, I just had coffee recently with my accountant. Um, he's kind of this like superstar accountant. He gives speeches at South by Southwest and travels the world with Robert Kiyosaki. And um, I only know him because I read his book and was so inspired by it that I was like, I need to know who you are. And I introduced myself. So, I love um, it. yeah. So it's not like, oh, she's got these superstar finance friends. Like I just sort of stalked him and was like, your book <laughs> changed everything. So anyway, um, what was his book again? It's called Tax-Free Wealth, and Mm. it's great for any entrepreneur. Actually, everybody should read this because you'll realize how the government favors entrepreneurs and not paycheck employees, and you'll really start to figure out how to make your life more entrepreneurial and save taxes and make money in in the meantime. He's also got a new podcast called Wealthability. um, Oh, okay. That's great. Which is, yeah, look this up. Like, put it in your feed. He's great. But, you know, he was talking about how he goes, you know, accountants, we only define an asset as one thing. Like there's only one way to define an asset is does it make money? So when you look at your house and your car, the things that you think are in your asset columns and they don't make money, it's not an asset, right? It's just something, it's dead weight in your life. And so he says, what does an accountant say to do if you've got an asset that doesn't make money? either get rid of it or pay off the liability. And so you have to rethink your life about not living around this liability that's attached to a non-performing asset. You'll never create wealth that way. Does that make sense? It does. So I have some I, I have some examples in my head that I, I'm going to have you kind of walk us through. So okay. if, you, if someone has, say, a $400,000 home, they've paid off $200,000. Now let's say that they have... $400,000. That might be a lot. I'm just going to use this. Tra- I'm going to try to make this kind of equal. So they have $400,000 in their 401k. So they have a $400,000 home. They've paid off 200 and then they have 400 in a 401k. Which way would you go towards if you were going to borrow against something? Would it be your 401k with that amount or would it be against the house? Well, <sighs> You know, the new tax law actually makes that so it's sort of half a dozen of what's what's the expression? Oh, Six yeah. of one, I'm, half I'm, a dozen yeah, of the Yes. Uh, I'm so bad <laughs> I'm at those. I'm terrible with idioms. I know, me too. Yes. Um, but let me explain why. Okay. So you can set the interest rate at which you pay back your 401k so that you're the lender, right? So and you can pick so, any number. So how would you decide? Why, why would they even want you to be able to decide that? 
You, well, it has to be based on like a market-based rate. Um, you can't like say pay yourself back 15% because, mm. yeah. you know, they'll call foul on that and, and you'll get dinged on your taxes. That's a great way to get an audit. But the thing is, you're going to be putting that money back into a stock-based fund, right? Mm-hmm. So you will be making more money in your 401k. But it's going to be put back in the 401k, which is heavily invested in stocks. In fact, my tax person, Tom Wheelwright, he says the 401k is what I call your way of partnering with the government to invest in the stock market. That's all it is. Like it's a tax friendly way that the government is incentivizing you to invest in the stock market. Um, it's really hard to have your 401k not in the stock market, actually. Sure. Right. And so I don't love that. I don't, you know, especially with the volatility in our country right now, I don't really want most of my money in the stock market. So, but if you're comfortable with that, then that's fine. And then the interest on that loan is also a taxable deduction. But now the new tax law says that the interest on a home equity line of credit is not a tax deduction, but we have sort of found a way to make it one because what we did is we took a a home equity line of credit. We took money out in order to invest in rental real estate, and we issued ourselves a promissory note in from our um, into our LLC. So what does so that the, mean? So the LLC now. So I'm going to back up a few steps. So sure. you should never buy an investment property in your own name um, for oh. all kinds of different reasons, and mm-hmm. we can teach you that yeah. on the podcast. But okay, let's say you you create. Amber LLC and Amber okay. LLC is now going to buy investment real estate, right? Yep. So now Amber LLC is going to create a promissory note to you, Amber, the lady mm. for $50,000 that you took out of your home equity line of credit. And now the interest on that note is a tax deduction. So you can match it to the interest on your home equity line of credit. So you can then take advantage of that. So these are, you know, these are sort of I know some people are probably like, oh my God, my eyes are rolling yeah. back in my head because these, I'm talking about numbers on a podcast, which yeah, yeah, you yeah. can't see, yeah. right? It's hard to see, yep. But what I'm asking you to do is sort of familiarize yourself with this language and learn to see finances. I have this sort of helpful visual tool of, of, a, of a seesaw, like put things or a teeter-totter, depending on where you were raised, like put mm-hmm. your financial options on a teeter-totter and then learn to see them holistically and then just see which one's more expensive, which one, you know, weighs off, weighs better. Like, what are my options? Like, these are things that you have to make on a very personal level, but you can only do it if you're really starting to speak this language, right? I couldn't talk to you about this 10 years ago in this way. It's just something that like, like I said, I take one thing on my balance sheet. I took that 401k and I'm like, okay, let me learn how to leverage the 401k. And once I did that, then I could go to the next thing that taught me the language of finance, the sort of like, it's, it's a method, right. That I could then apply to the next thing. Yes, I understand. So, and what you're saying too, is you have to almost create a business to be able to take that money out of the secondary or the, um, the house, take it, taking it out of your house versus me, myself. That's the only way that you can, um, not get ding tax wise, right. It's kind of creating your own business. Is that what you're saying? I'm well, you should always invest in an LLC for all kinds of reasons and tax-free wealth will help you to figure out a few of those, but you know, my, my accountant, he sort of jokes that anyone who invests as a sole proprietor 
meaning just in your own name, mm. you know, on your own social security. Like if, yes. if I were to charge you to do this podcast, I would bill you in Natalie Morris LLC, which is an, which is an LLC I have set up like Got to it. do, like if I, like I hosted a, a show for a lifetime recently, like they don't pay me as a freelancer in my own social security number, they pay me Natalie Morris LLC for all kinds of taxable reasons oh, and also liability okay. reasons. So you should never, ever accept a, a job, a freelance job in your own name ever. Okay. Um, so that's one thing you'll learn from tax-free wealth. And, um, you know, there are other books I can sort of point you to if you want to invest in real estate. Um, Tom, Tom Wheelwright likes to joke that if you, if you take any money as a sole proprietor, they, that, that, accountants call it, uh, it's like an acronym for someday you'll lose everything as a sole proprietor. Cause the oh, liabilities wow. there, the tax, you know, you're taxed at a m- much more unfavorable rate. Um, that, you know, there's so many reasons for that. I see. Yeah. So, you know, in order to invest in real estate, you should have an LLC set up, but you know, what I'm talking about, about like moving the money around between, you know, with a promissory note or creating your own note or any of that, it's not necessary. It's just, like it makes it a more official way that the money is moving between your accounts and you're getting the tax advantage of the interest being a deduction. Yeah. Um, and you know, you just work with your CPA. Like we did it recently and my CPA was like, okay, just make sure you make those payments. So I automated it at the bank so that if the IRS ever came and said, why did you write off this, this interest? Because you know, the interest on a home equity letter credit is not a deduction. I could say, yes, but I had a note to myself for investments um, mm. and here are the payments and I could, I could prove that. Yeah, that makes sense. So, okay. So let's just go back for the 401k. Um, is there a penalty for taking out the money at all? Like, is there a, um, a con to this that we're just not talking about? No, it's a, you, but it's a loan. It's not a withdrawal. If you withdraw, then yes, okay, you, you will gotcha. be penalized. But you can create a loan to yourself for this amount of money um, without any taxable burdens at all. So if you okay, so if we have four hundred thousand in the four hundred one k, did you say you could take up to fifty percent or only fifty thousand? It's fifty thousand dollars or fifty percent, whichever is bigger. Oh, okay. So in this case, it would be um, two hundred thousand. So no, you can't. Oh, you can't. I'm sorry. I'm, oh. it's, it's I see what you're saying. 50, Got it. But you know okay. what? Every custodian has their own rules. If your IRA was with Fidelity, those are the rules. If your IRA is with oh, Scott Trade, it's something okay. else. Got it. So those rules are actually set up by the custodian, but it's pretty common that it's up to $50,000. Okay. Yeah. So then if you were thinking about, so you if you took the $50,000 out, you would be putting the down payment. That's what... Now, okay, let's just back up for a second. What if the house is more than $50,000 for a down payment? Are you then thinking that's not a good option then? Or are you trying to pull money from somewhere else to then get to that down payment? And then we'll move on after this. Well, it depends on what kind of performing asset you're comfortable with. So for us in our house, we are comfortable with single family homes that mm-hmm. cost around $60,000 in the Midwest okay. and then rent out for about $700 a month. Sure. But let's say you don't want to, you know, we always get a property manager on yes. these. So we don't, yep. we're not like going out and fixing the toilets ourselves, but let's say you just don't want to do that. You have to figure out what you're comfortable with and you just have to change your mindset about performing assets, right? Because you cannot save your way to wealth. Nobody can. That's just not a thing. That's something that we think because of, I don't know, no one ever taught us any better, right. but yep. 
you can only own performing assets to get to a wealthy place, right? Because for all, well, I'm about to go on a tangent and I won't. (laughs) So, you know, but there are other ways that you can buy into a performing asset. You can buy into a fund um, of other real estate investors who are, say, buying an apartment building. You can, you know, there, there are so many different ways to take that fifty thousand dollars. You you can get a loan if you want. You you found something you think is worth owning, and it's worth more than fifty thousand dollars. Use that fifty thousand dollars as a down payment, and you can get a loan, um, either from a hard money lender or a bank, or you know, it's just a matter of like using creativity to figure out where to go next. And so that's sort of what we do on our podcast is we teach people how to get started from all these different kinds of places. Like what's a hard money lender? What's a portfolio loan? What's, you know, all of that kind of, there's so many options. And I think, you know, what you're asking me is like, if you had this, what would you do? And I would go, I mean, it's like, there's a fork in the road and then it's a choose your own (laughs) adventure kind of book. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like, if you want to do this, go to page 10. And if you want to go to this, go to page. And so that to me, was really eye-opening because I realized that you have so many options to be creative with finances and no one ever teaches us that. People think like, oh, you know, you save money in a savings account and then you, you know, get a mortgage. And that's really, that's not how sort of more wealth-minded people think. Yeah. Well, and I wanted to ask you, were you ever nervous that there would be times that you weren't getting a rent check so that you're going to have to pay for this. Cause I think that's what some people may be worried about. So how did you overcome that to not be so worried? Well, actually we budget for uh, 40% of our, yeah, so we, we budget every month um, for possible vacancies, taxes, and insurance. So there's a way to calculate that. It's called your, um, your net return. Oh, and yeah. so you mm-hmm. take what you make, you know, per year, like maybe you make $1,000 a month, so you'll get $12,000 a year. And then you take 40% of that and you stock, sock it away for taxes, insurance, and possible vacancy and repair. Um, most of the time, that's pretty conservative. You won't mm-hmm. have that much vacancy, but we're always prepared for that. Okay, that's good to know. Hey, friends, it's Amber. I know you've been hearing me talk a lot about travel lately, but I wanted to take that a little bit further. I wanted to ask you, how many more summers or Christmas breaks or spring breaks do you have with your kiddos before college? I want to inspire you guys to be intentional with your family vacations and help you create amazing memories. So what is on your bucket list for vacations? Where are you hoping to go for Christmas break this year? Where do you hope to go for spring break next year? If you don't have plans yet for those breaks or have been dreaming about a bucket list vacation, I want to invite you guys to set up an appointment with me. It's completely free. So both the consultation and then also me just coming alongside of you and planning and booking your dream vacation. So all you have to do is pause this podcast because you may be doing dishes or you may be taking a walk or exercising or you may be driving. And so pause the podcast and create a reminder in your phone to reach out to me when you're done listening to this episode. All you have to do is go to mominspiredshow.com forward slash travel. And from there, you can pick a day and a time that works best for you, schedule it, and that will go directly to me. And you will be on your way to making your plans reality. I can't wait to chat with you. Let's get back to the show. 
Okay, so we're going to move on. There's, I know that there's women that are working full time jobs similar to what you were doing, and they make a really good salary. But you know, as the kids get older, and there's just more activities, they're just feeling that crunch of time trying to work a full time job trying to get home, and they're trying to figure out how to quit. So uh, I know that we just talked about, you know, doing rental properties or anything like that, right? Um, But what would you say they would need to do to start getting things in place to be able to quit? And how long would you say they should probably be planning out in order to kind of get that ball rolling? Well, what we did in order to figure out how to get to our freedom number was we sort of reverse engineered how we could live our lives as we were living it now based on owning performing assets. So we have a spreadsheet, uh, a giveaway if you go to morrisinvest.com slash freedom. It's what we call the freedom number cheat sheet. And it helps you to take your monthly budget and then figure out how you can get there in performing assets. So we knew what we were comfortable with with was owning these performing assets that paid about this much per month. And then we figured out how many of them we needed. So you could do that with any performing asset. You could do that with like, you could, you know, a performing asset doesn't have to be real estate. It could be a business that you own, but don't work in. It could be, you know, an LLC that you partner in and you, you create a note. There's all kinds of ways to own performing assets, but you have to really reverse engineer it to figure out how many of these do you need to live your life And then, you know, it took us five years to get there. But last year, my husband was able to quit his job in September because we hit it. So um, it just was a matter of like, we worked really hard together. It was always in our sights. We meet every month, actually more like every day. It seems like (laughs) we're always like, this is what, this is our constant preoccupation. How do we get there? Are we close? How are these performing? You know, it became... We had the luxury of time because I was a freelancer and he worked weekends. So I'm not going to say that it wasn't easier for us than people who are working 40 hours a week somewhere away from the home. Sure. Um, but, you know, I was just talking to my husband about this last night. Like a lot of times marriage is sitting on the couch with three screens going like the main TV and your own separate screens. Right. So like, you might as well use that time you've got together to do some scheming and dreaming. Yeah, no, I do love that. And yeah, because a lot of people want to just check out. And I think it, it is a great opportunity to do what you're doing. Um, I have two more questions before uh, we're done. I remember you saying something about you pay your kids an income and you don't pay them for chores. So can you yeah. explain Can you explain that to us and, and how that looks? Right. Yeah, I have a blog post. It's one of my most commented on blog posts. And I think it's like three years old called Why You Should Not Pay Your Kids for Chores or something like that. Um, and so I really got on board. I, I read a few books about it and I sort of really under, I really came to the conclusion that kids need a financial education. And there's only really one way you can do that is with, you know, sort of hands-on experience with money. So in my house, the chores are not something they're paid to do. The chores are something they're expected to do because I can't opt out of chores, right? just say, I don't want to do that. But if I incentivize them with money, they can just say, I don't want the money. I just don't want to do the chores. Right. And that's not an option. They're a part of a family chores are because they are a part of this family. They live here and it's everyone's responsibility. So I give them a small allowance every week and then they have to, you know, are sort of what I say to them a lot is mommy will take care of your needs, but you take care of your wants. So birthdays and Christmas, they get, you know, 
plenty of gifts and things like that. But if they're, you know, walking around Target and they need this Lego thing, I'll say, well, save your allowance. So I try really hard not to spoil them and just get them things at random, right? Like right. if you need socks and underwear and clothes and, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, one person actually asked me, this was a great question, who pays for their birthday presents when they go to a birthday party? And I thought that was really hard. Like I didn't have a good answer for that because mm. I shouldn't have to pay for that, but I do. Right. Because otherwise they could never go to birthday every yeah. weekend. It's True. someone's yes. party. Yeah. It can be so a lot. That one stumped me. I would love people to give me their um, comments on that. But <laughs> um, I will pay them around the house if they want to do something for me. Like, you know shredding papers in my office or doing mailers or, or that kind of thing. They'll say, can I do a job to earn extra? And so something that wouldn't otherwise be their responsibility, I will pay them for, but I want them to, you know, have experience saving money, giving away money, putting money in a bank, um, you know, wanting something, saving for it. And so in my mind, they have to do that with small amounts of money. Now, it's not very much. It's like a dollar a week. And I, I put it in three different shops. They get a dollar in each jar. They have one to spend, one to save, and one to give away. Um, and so, you know, I feel like I'm not spoiling them. I'm teaching them how money works. Yeah, no, I really do like that. And I, I, we do the same. We don't pay them for chores. We expect them to do stuff around the house. They live here. Uh, just like we live here. So I do think that's great. And I do love the whole idea of giving too. So setting up a jar that's giving as well as the saving and spending. Um, so Natalie, we're almost at the end of the show. And I'm curious what your thoughts are on this. So I feel like a lot of people are so overwhelmed with kids' college funds, like 529s. Um, I don't know if you're going to have a traditional answer to this, so I'm, I'm interested to see what you're going to say. So um, with the 529s, I know there's all different kinds in different states. And I recently just uh, learned that if it's in their names and then they try to go get financial aid when it's closer to them going to college, it's going to count against them as income, the 529s, if it's in their names versus if it's in my name and their beneficiary. So any thoughts on this, on the whole thing, the 529s saving for college, or are you just planning on having rental properties, selling them off and sending your kids to school? <laughs> well, no, no, I actually, I don't think I'm going to do either of those things because, you know, when I started to study finance, I was like, okay, you need a 529. I feel like that's another part of the big marketing that's pushed towards you. And so my kids do have 529s. The more I evaluate them, the more I realize they are stock-based accounts, and I am not happy with the way that they've performed over the last seven years. So because of the GOP tax law, you now can use the 529 to pay for primary school, and my kids are in private school, so I've started to withdraw it. Um, and I want to use it up. I don't actually want that money sitting there for the next 10 years while I'm waiting for college. Sure. But... Um, yeah. So I'm actually depleting those on purpose. Um, if you don't have your kids in private school, I'm not sure what I would do otherwise. I guess you just kind of hold it there and wait. Yeah. But I actually do, you, you can withdraw from an IRA for college funds. And my kids all have IRAs because they work for our business. Um, they have qualified business income. And so what I plan to do is build up their IRAs through working for our business. And then um, they can actually own real estate inside of the IRA because they're self-directed IRAs. 
And then they can withdraw on that money for education. Okay. So let's back up for a second. Okay. So if people are trying to figure out the 529s and you're saying, I wouldn't go that route. If you have money in there, um, do you know if it's in one child's name, if you can use it for other children? Like you're trying to deplete it? Yeah, I don't think you can. Okay. So it only is for the child that it's the name uh, that it's under. Depending on how you set it up. Yeah. Okay. You usually have to use their social security number. I see. Okay. So then, um, so you're saying don't go that route. And then, um, well, I'm not saying that. Yes. Yeah. I know what you're, okay. So to really look into it, if you really want to do the 529s is is what I'm saying that, that you're depleting it because you feel like that's just not the best way for your family. So I wanted you to touch base on paying your kids through, they work for the business. So can you explain a little Mm -hmm. bit about that, what that looks like before we end? Yeah. Okay. Again, based on the new GOP tax law, your kids can make up to $12,000 a year now without reporting it on their own individual tax laws. So for me, if my business is making, let's say my business made $50,000 and I paid my kids 12,000 and there are two of them, I paid. So $24,000 now I'm going to pay it to them. And then there's no taxes paid on that money. Right. So it's a great way inside of my house to make sure Mm. that I'm paying less taxes, but I'm not just giving them $12,000 and it's like, go to Target, you know, oh my gosh, what what would they do with that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I, I funnel that into an IRA and then that IRA now can grow at a certain percentage. I can buy real estate. I can, you know, they have actually um, real estate funds that they own inside of their real, that, that pay 10% a year, um, Again, this is advanced yes. like investment strategy. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, th- but it's yeah. good to hear. Mm-hmm. And so then when they're college age, I can withdraw some, at least I can't remember what the rules are, but I can use that for qualified education expenses if I want to. I think you can um, pull out what you put in. I feel like that's the rule. Or is that Roth? I don't I'm know. not sure if that's the case because they are Roth IRAs. Oh, okay. Yeah. So um, I'm actually, I'm, I'm not up on that. I, I researched okay. it recently yeah. and then it's poof out of my brain. Sure. But, but I, I would rather their savings for their educational expenses be in something that I can affect rather than in the stock market. Um, you know, th- there are some 529s are better than others. Most of them are very high fees, like mm-hmm. your 401k. Yeah. So I have a post on um, 529s on how to learn to evaluate them because they are not all the same. Um, but again, it's just not my favorite way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To, and, and I want the money that is being put away for their education in a performing asset and not in like a dud savings account, you know? Yep. So how do you have to prove that they're actually working for you though? Mm-hmm. Like how does that yeah. work? They have contracts. Um, you know, I set this up with my CPA, um, you know, and it's, it's good to like keep good records because the IRS did actually challenge. They said, what's this about? And we sent them their contracts and their timesheets. And I mean, they're not like, you know, it's, it's like they do shredding. They do, you know, like little tiny jobs. It's not like child labor laws, right, you know? Right. But, um, so do they challenge you, know, you though? Like, oh, that's not a $12,000 job to shred. So like, do they challenge you on that or, or no? no. That's, okay. I mean, well, because last year under the Obama era, your limit was $6,000 a year to pay your kids, but oh, Trump doubled it. Okay. Mm. Um, that's interesting. So, yeah. Take that with, you know, for what you will. Yeah. But you know, if you go to the store and you see a box of Pampers, 
the baby on that box oh, yeah. mm-hmm. made income Money. that yep. now qualifies for an IRA. So yeah. kids and, can yeah. do qualify, yes. you know, like all the kids in Harry Potter can have an IRA. Yeah. You know, like it's, for acting. It, it's, yep. it's totally legal. And actually we it. also pay them to use their likelihood, uh, their likeness in our business. Like we pay them also for their, because like, yes, shredding is not worth $12,000 yeah. a year, yep. but we use them in all of our marketing material and oh, they have, yeah. um, mm-hmm. and they have qualified like modeling contracts with us and I am their legal guardian to sign off. So this is not something everyone can do clearly, Yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's a legitimate business. I mean, you know, it's definitely something to think about. That is for sure. Yeah. I, I do like that. Well, Natalie, as we wrap up, where can people find you on social media and your website and your podcast? So if you want to learn about being a real estate investor, you can go to morrisinvest.com. And that's where we teach you all the tricks that I talked about earlier. But if you're not quite ready for that and you just want to sort of talk about family finances, think about wealth building as a team, you know, start to sort of think about your options, then nataliemorris.com is more of a personal finance, family-based site. That's where I put most of the stuff that we're up to and you can learn about. So, um, you know, it's like baby steps, you know, I get it. Like I said, all this stuff, it took me years to learn. Awesome. All right, Natalie, thank you so much for coming on the show. I mean, you have really opened my eyes to a whole new world and I know that you're going to do that with all the listeners. Oh, I'm so glad for the opportunity. Thanks so much. And, you know, like I said, it's, I I just hope that I didn't like, I know talking about math on a podcast about finances, you know, (laughs) it's like, I know it's tough. I know how it sounds. I'm very aware But what I just want people to know is that like you have more resources than you know, just you can be more creative. You can really get in the driver's seat. Um, If I can do it, anyone can. No, I think it's great. And I think it's really, it's a really good challenge to kind of like push people a little bit. So I really appreciate it. and, And I'm so grateful for you coming on the show. Yeah, me too. Hey, you guys, would you like to have every podcast episode in your inbox on Tuesday? That way you don't have to go search for it or have to remember that hey, a new mom-inspired show has aired today. You can have that. All you have to do is go to mominspiredshow.com and subscribe. If you're looking at it on your phone, just scroll to the bottom, enter your name and your email. If you're looking at it on your computer, it's gonna be on the right-hand side. That way you won't miss an episode and I'm also gonna start including travel tips every week. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I'll see you next week. 